0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Calvary Chapel, Sydney. Welcome to those joining us online. Uh, just a couple of things. Next week after the sermon, it's after morning tea, we'll have just a congregational meeting. So we'll hang out and uh, have our quarterly meeting that we tend to have. And we haven't really had because we haven't been meeting. So I think the last time we had one was online. But uh, you guys can be here and participate this time, which is good. Um, and thank you for observing the uh, restrictions of remaining seated during the morning tea time. So find a good spot. You're free to move about, but do maintain social distancing and be sensitive to others. So really appreciate your efforts and the efforts of the servants who are bringing us tea and coffee and biscuits and, and the bounty that the Lord provides. And hey, maybe we won't want to go back to uh, having to get it yourselves, but... We we will. We will go back to that someday. We'll be in Luke chapter 20, starting in verse 45, if you want to turn there. And let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you have been so generous to us. You are so kind and wonderful to give yourself that we could live, that you have sent and saved, and you have done everything marvelously. What a miraculous God. What an awesome God we serve. And I pray that we would serve you, Lord. We would be those who give ourselves to you, and that you would speak to our hearts through your word today, that you would fill us with your spirit, you'd give us understanding of your truth, and guide us to walk in it. So it glorifies you, in Jesus' name. Amen. No one can compare to the generosity of God. Everything we have is by His grace. It's like the light of the the sun, the water we drink, the food we eat, the clothes we wear, the beds we sleep in. These are all gifts from the Lord that He's provided. And if we have gain that we have earned, know that it's He who has given you the power and strength to earn that because He's given it to you. And uh, we have this life on earth with a hope of heaven and greater than a house or money or a a car or career, skills or abilities. It's God who is the greatest treasure because he's given us himself, like he gave us himself. And realizing what he has given us, it compels us then to be generous, to give ourselves to him and to serve and bless others. And an example of this, years ago I went out to a meal with, uh, it was a family gathering. It was a pretty large group and One generous family member was like, oh, let me help out with the tip. As you know, tipping is, it's not compulsory, but it's very common in the States. And uh, I was taken aback when the amount of the tip was basically the the, whole amount for the party. And I expressed my surprise, like, okay, that's not 20%, that's not 30%, that's like almost 100% of what we just spent on this large gathering. And Uh, She said, matter-of-factly, she's like, you know, I really appreciate the gifts or the the tips I receive, and so I like to give them. And it just put my generosity to shame. And uh, she connected the two. She appreciated what she had been given, and so it led her to be generous with what she received. She, She was thinking about others. And it makes me think, do we realize all that God has given us? And do we respond with appreciation and generosity towards him and others? So we can show our appreciation for all God's given us by being generous toward other people. And it would be a shame for us to be selfish or greedy or envious when God has given us everything, when he's given us himself. Paul's eyes were open to all that God had given him. And he wrote this in Galatians 2:20. He says, "I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me." Some people aren't really pleased with the life they are living in the flesh. But realize the life that you're living, it is a gift from God that you would not have otherwise. Paul got this, and he says, I realize God loves me, that he gave himself for me. And so his reaction, his response to the needs around him were born out of this truth, that because God's given me everything, Jesus gave himself for me. Do you realize that God gave himself for you? And do we appreciate that? Do we remember that? Do we see other people as worthy as worthy of our love because we have been so loved by God. And God's given us this, it's a duty, but also a privilege to love others, to give to them, and to bless them. So we've reached a point where Jesus, he's traveled with his disciples to Jerusalem. He's cleansed the temple. He's now preaching the gospel and teaching in the temple And there was many Jewish sects that came up to him and tried to accuse him, kind of to entrap him with his words. And uh, in every case, Jesus confounded them with the wisdom of God. And the scribes who said, Jesus, you've spoken well, they weren't able to answer the question he asked them. Picking up in verse 45 of Luke 20. Then in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. The ones who had hoped to expose Jesus as a fraud, they were exposed. And the words of Jesus, they were so shocking to the people who heard him say this. Because the scribes were the most respected, honored, learned, pious, devout people in the Jewish community. From a very young age, they devoted their lives. It may take them 20 years to get to the point where they could transcribe the word of God. But they they studied from their youth to be able to uh, serve as a scribe. And they had such meticulous care in the transcribing of the word that um, every copy was considered an original because if you're copying a sentence, you copy word by word, they copied it letter by letter and they counted every letter on the entire page. And if there was one letter wrong, it would render invalid the entire Torah and it would need to be repaired. I mean, they, they took it so seriously. The word of God, even the name of God, you know, the Jewish people would not write the name of God because it was so Holy. And they would say a prayer even before they wrote part of the name of God. And so the writing of the law, the transcribing of God's word was only reserved for the most pious, the people that are like, that guy is a holy man. And Jesus saying, beware of them. Beware of them because of what they're doing to the widows, how they're only seeking to gain, not to give. And so he's talking to his disciples. He's not wanting to humiliate anyone, but he's talking to people that the disciples had looked up to their entire lives. They had a worthy ministry, but Jesus says, do not be like them, in that they are, hip, they are hypocrites using their authority for personal gain rather than seeing it as an opportunity to serve one another. And Jesus knew the hearts of them. He said they used their position to gain honor, recognition, wealth, the highest social standing, the best seats. And their ministry was really self-serving. They sought to gain rather than give. And they wanted to be distinguished and respected amongst the people. They loved to be greeted. They wanted to be recognized. And it was like first class all the way. Now there's nothing wrong with traveling first class, but they did so at the expense of poor widows they took advantage of. They devoured their inheritance, they exploited them rather than protect them or support them. So their motive, we learn in other passages, that it was that the good things they did was to be seen and recognized by men. So they made the blue tassel or the fringe on their garments long, and they made their Uh, tefillin broad, where they would put the scriptures on their heads and they'd, they'd bind it to their arm. They would make those boxes extra big. So people would be like, whoa, that guy must be really spiritual. Look how big that tefillin box is. And Matthew 23, if you want to read it, there's a very long warning. It's the whole chapter, pretty much, Jesus pronouncing woe upon the scribes and Pharisees for their hypocrisy, that they barred the way to the kingdom of God and would not enter in themselves through faith in Jesus. And he says, these will receive greater condemnation. And this word condemnation, it's speaking of eternal judgment they would be judged eternal damnation in hell for their hypocrisy. And we don't see Jesus going on for whole chapters about the evil of lying or stealing or even murder, but he does speak at length about hypocrisy and self-righteousness and the appearance of godliness, but doing it to be seen by men. He, he talked often about that. So you think... What's the greatest condemnation? To be punished alongside Satan and his demons. And that's where these guys were heading. Without repentance. Without acknowledging Jesus as his savior. And Jesus would say to them, like he said in Matthew 25, 41, depart from you, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. He called them sons of Gehenna. They would be judged according to their works. They would be condemned because he saw their hearts. He weighed them in the balances of the gospel and they were found wanting. He says these proud people, they think in themselves they're righteous and they despise others, and you know that very well describes me. Not described me at one point. No. I deserve I still deserve to go to hell as much now as much now as ever before because I am a sinner. But God in his grace, he has changed me. He has transformed me. He opened my eyes to see it. I couldn't see it. He's helped me to see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. And there's no way to heaven except through him. Jesus warned his disciples. Now he's speaking to his disciples. Beware of them lest you be like them. Lest you put yourselves under condemnation because you're seeing gain as godliness Because the good things you do and say are to be seen by men. And God's not even in the picture. So we need to ask ourselves, is Christianity more about what I receive or an opportunity to give ourselves to God and to others? Let's not imagine that we're more worthy of heaven now because we're saved, right? Who among us is worthy? It's by God's grace that he saved us. He's called us. He's forgiven us because he has given himself to us. We can rejoice in God's grace towards sinners because if we'll own our sin, then there's hope for us. As long as we think that we are righteous in ourselves, though, we are without hope. We are under condemnation, especially if we think in ourselves we are righteous. Jesus was generous He he was giving all the time, not just on Calvary, but daily. Think of the hours he spent traveling, walking throughout Israel, how he healed the sick, he fed the hungry. It wasn't like, you want to come to Jesus? Well, there he is, and you have to make a, a pilgrimage to go see him and pay for a miracle. No, people didn't have to pay for a miracle. He gave miracles free. He gave the gospel free, and he gave himself freely. Paul... He was a disciple who followed Christ's example. Jesus, though he kept giving, he was also willing to receive. Paul, he worked so that when he presented the gospel, people didn't get the idea like, oh, he's just preaching. He's coming to Thessalonica and to Colossus because he wants to make more money. You know, the money is kind of dried up in Jerusalem, so now he's going out to hopefully, you know, get more people to support him. No, he supported himself so that people would realize uh, that the gospel's not for charge, that he wasn't doing it for the money. He wanted them to know Jesus. He said this in Acts 20, 33 through 35. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive, He quotes Jesus here, a quote that you don't find in the Gospels, but he says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Have you discovered both sides of this? The blessing of giving and also the blessing of receiving. There's people who may lack either side of that, where we feel like, well, I, I don't want to receive something from them because I'm, I'm concerned that they don't have enough to give me. Or I, I really don't appreciate what they're giving. And... But you know, when you receive something from someone, you're giving them the blessing of giving. And it's more blessed to give than to receive. And we should be on both sides of that, willing to receive, but willing to give. Proverbs 19:17 it says, he who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord and he will pay back what he has given, that he is God. It's not the poor who will pay it back. It's God who will pay you back. And he'll pay it back in a way that's beyond price. Because in our society, we often use money for these transactions, we get a little mired in that thinking, that giving involves money. But it's more than that. It's about giving people time, giving them a listening ear, a smile, encouragement, kindness, and money. All those things. Continuing in Luke 21, verse 1. And he looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. He also saw a certain poor woman putting in two mites. So he said, truly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all for all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. Jesus is in the court of the temple where there were boxes. There was a box to receive the temple tax when you appeared before the Lord. There was a box also to receive tithes and offerings for the service of the the ministry there, to help repair the temple and to procure the things they needed for the ministry. And pilgrims were coming from great distances to uh, offer and maybe only could get away one time of the year. And some who were wealthy would have a lot to bring. So they were bringing all the accumulated tithes of their wine and oil and herds and flocks and business and uh, the first fruits of everything. And you could convert it into money because it was more convenient than having to herd, you know, a whole zoo of animals to offer before the Lord. They didn't have checks. They didn't have direct deposit. There was no tap and go there was, no ca- there was no paper money. This money would have been in like gold and silver and heavy things. And let's not think that those who gave in this way did not also give to be seen by men, right? You could have quite a procession because uh, I remember my grandpa used to keep all his pennies in this big glass five-gallon jug in his study. And that thing, it was so heavy, I could never lift it. And uh, you would need help to carry this stuff. Mark 12:41, it suggests that people gave differently, because it says, now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury, and many who were rich put in much. So he's watching them give, and he's watching how they give this offering of gold and silver and bronze, it would have taken time. Have you guys ever been standing in the bank and they've got that little coin machine there and someone comes in with a big bag and they start slowly feeding coins and it's like clinkity, clinkity, clack, clack, clack and it's like going through the machine and you're like, man, how did they get all that change? Like, that must have taken forever. And and it's slowly, now you imagine trying to feed coins into a box. It's going to take some time. And so they could be doing it with great flourish and like, oh, bring in the next load. And so they're bringing it in. And, and you know, people are like, oh, oh, that's a good one. You know, that, that guy, he's, he's a wealthy man. That's a lot. They're, they're doing the sums in their head. Like, he, I see how much he has here. How much does he have back at home? Like this guy, he is loaded. I started thinking about King Solomon. If he tithed on just the gold he received, he received 666 talents of gold per annum. And if each talent is 35 kilos each, it, his annual tithe just in gold would have been 2,331 kilos. Like that is a significant amount. And he's not going to carry that by himself. So in contrast to the rich, and it's, it's a pretty impressive gift that people have been giving, Jesus sees this poor widow put in two lepta or two mites. And I wonder if this was one of the poor widows who had been extorted by those scribes. Her house had been plundered. She had very little inheritance. She had these two coins that she threw in. Now, this, uh, I had to do a little research on this because I'm not really up to snuff with my Roman currency, but uh, the smallest Roman coin was a quadrants. That was a quarter of an as, or asses, asses, sorry. 16 asses make a denarius, and that would be a daily wage. So it's 1/64th of a day's wage for a laborer in Rome, what she puts in there. And this lepta, I found one online that was 16.3 millimeters in diameter. And I'm like, that's 0.3 of a millimeter. That's pretty small. And so I have here a couple of 5-cent coins. These are 20 mils in diameter, if you're curious. So 10 cents for us. Since my arrival in Australia, I've heard a lot of talk over the years that uh, the five-cent piece should go in the numismatic trash pile because it costs more to make it than what its face value is. And because the value of the coins are so small, someone might ask, well, why bother? What can you do with, and I'll just put it in our context, 10 cents? Two five-cent coins. Would that be a, a gift you would give to a graduation? Housewarming? Wedding gift. Like, this is a, would that be a serious gift? Could you take that seriously at all? If someone says, you know, I dug deep, here you go, two five cent coins. No, we would would probably be very offended by that and, like, you know what? Keep your change. (laughs) Not interested in that. A priest, if he was to go and empty that, And all that was inside were those two mites. What could he buy with it? He couldn't buy a garment. He couldn't buy bread. He couldn't buy a a snack for his dog. Like, there's just nothing you can buy with this amount of money. But then Jesus, he's watching her, and he says, Assuredly, I say to you, this woman, she has put in more than all. This shows how Jesus sees and knows what we cannot see. All knew, based upon her clothing, likely that she was a widow. They would have dressed in a certain way, like a married woman or an unmarried woman, or a a girl who was uh, young. They would be dressed differently. And people might judge her harshly for this gift, or kind of like, well, where's the next rich guy? Because that wasn't impressive. In fact, that's a bit uh, offensive that she only gave that little. But Jesus said, All these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. She gave all, everyone gave what was left over from their wealth. She gave everything that she needed for that day. That was all the money she had for living that day. That was her money for lunch, that was her money for dinner. And she gave it all to God. And maybe she was tempted to keep one of them, just in case. Or maybe she could say, well, they can't use this for anything. I'll save it up and then give it later. No one else paid this mo- wo- widow any mind except perhaps to scorn her, to look past her to the next person. But Jesus commended her over everyone else. This insight of Jesus it should definitely temper our judgment. Of those that we would see as stingy or not giving as they should, not giving him his due. And simply put, giving God his due doesn't mean you should give God a bit more. It means giving him all, whether poor or rich, giving him you. That's what he's after. Please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're gonna read a couple of passages from 2 Corinthians. the church in Corinth had previously expressed a desire to help out with the poor Christians in Jerusalem. They were under a lot of persecutions in, persecution in Jerusalem. They were suffering hardship. And when they heard about it, they're like, oh yeah, we'll definitely contribute to that. That's a worthy cause. But they didn't make good on it. A year had passed and they had not given anything. And so Paul, in his letter, he's reminding them like, hey, you guys said you were going to help out with this and it is really needed. And I know you have the will to do it, but let's let's actually do it. Let's put it into action. And he uses the churches of Macedonia as an example to them, even like this widow who was poor, uh, she gave out of her poverty. The Macedonian churches gave out of their poverty. Notice he never mentions how much they give. It's not how much, it's not the the value of the money, but the cost that God looks at. What is it costing? 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us By the will of God. Isn't that awesome? Where they had this abundance of joy and deep poverty. We don't often think those things will go together, but they do. And they did. And how did it work? Because they first gave themselves to God and then they gave themselves to others by the will of God. So they were following God's lead in their giving. The generosity of the churches in Macedonia, they were not hindered by the tribulation or their affliction or their deep poverty, but they freely gave beyond their ability. And they said, hey, pass this gift along to the poor in Jerusalem so we can have the fellowship of ministering to the saints. And this is contribution. This is real fellowship. Fellowship is more than just having a chat or a conversation or spending time together. It's contributing to the good too good for someone else, for the glory of God. And verse five, that is a key of Christian fellowship and generosity, giving yourself to God. Then God is free to direct and use you however he wants. The dollar amount was irrelevant of what the Macedonian churches gave. It was probably far less than what the Corinthian church gave. But it was their willingness to give themselves to God at great cost that was commendable. That's the example that we're to follow. They didn't give to be seen by men, but men saw them, and men were encouraged by their example. They still received the reward, as it says in Matthew 6, 1 through 4. They did, their motive was not to be seen. So if you're seen, it, it's not going to rob you a reward, but it's your heart. If it was done to be seen, then you have your reward. But if it's done unto the Lord, he rewards you. And he recognized, Paul did, the generosity of the Macedonians who gave out of their poverty. And Jesus draws attention to this poor widow who gave all she had. Good stewardship given uh, according to the will of God. It's, it's, I guess good stewardship is more about just what you save, but in giving yourself. And God loves it when we give cheerfully. So not feeling like I'm obligated or, well, I'd rather have a heavenly reward than this. So we're kind of glum about it. It's hurting you to be parted from this thing. Turn to the next page, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. Paul lays down this uh, scriptural principle here. He says, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let every, each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work." Having first given ourselves to God, we are now enabled to give according to His will, not to outdo others, not to be seen by men or with a selfish motive for reward. We give knowing that God is able to make all grace abound toward us. Like, can any money buy this? Where it says, all grace abounding, having all sufficiency in all things, and abundant for every good work. That's a big statement. But when we give ourselves to the Lord, he, he is sufficient, he is able, he is a provider, he is our all in all. He gives us everything we need. So one point we can learn from this with the poor widow being observed by Jesus is he did not dismiss her gift because he was comparing the amount with someone else. It was nearly impossible to give less than what the widow gave, right? But he said, she gave more than all. Because he's looking at her heart. It was like she cast herself upon his mercy. She cast herself into that offering box. And God received that. She gave out of her poverty. The second point is those who have only a little to give have something to give. We might discount our gift because it's not as good as someone else or as much as someone else. And know that God will gladly receive it. No one can say or should say they have nothing to give God when he's given you your life and all that you have. The woman was not ashamed to be casting her two mites. We might be ashamed to be seen casting such a small amount, like, let's save it up so it's a little bit more. But what does it compare to the gift that God has given us in Jesus? And God's gracious to receive our humble gifts because he's worthy of that sacrifice. Have you ever been insulted by a gift given to you? You're like, they obviously, I don't know what they were thinking giving me this. How did they think I would use this? They don't even know, they don't even know me. Like, this is a crazy thing to give. And we can judge the character of someone poorly when they've given. God receives the gift and the giver. The third point, whether we have little or much, we're obliged to give God according to our ability. So God's given to us and we are to give ourselves to Him. And we'll not be judged by God by what we don't have to give. Like, he's like, well, where's my million dollars? You know, I've done a lot for you. You know, pay up. No, he knows if you don't have that. And he hasn't asked you to give that. But he asked that we would give him our all. God's given us so many things beyond money and price. Are we giving God his due? Because he is worthy. He is God. Are we using our resources to support and help others? Even if this woman, and I love that this woman gave, and she could have been one of those widows whose inheritance had been plundered, whose house had been devoured, but God was still worthy to receive it. Even when those so-called holy men, those self-righteous hypocrites, robbed her, she still gave to God because God's worthy to receive that. And he was glad to receive that heart. She's an example to us because she gave 100% of her living And do we owe God any less because he's given us himself? And she didn't give because she only had a little. She gave because it was all she had. I think if she had had 10 times that amount, on the day, it may have all gone in. What you give and how you give is between you and God. My intent is not to make anyone feel guilty that you're not giving enough. On one hand, I I do not feel an exhortation to give more money to the church or Christian ministry or the needy is necessary in this fellowship because of the generosity that I see routinely shown by so many folks here. I, I feel like I'm talking to a group of some of the most generous people I know, so don't get the wrong idea. People are generous with their time and money and with praying and service by forgiving, by showing grace and love towards others. And I've been amazed and impressed and blown away with the gifts that I have received, the ministry has received, and that I see people supporting each other with throughout my time here. People, I believe, understand, you understand the importance of giving And receiving and how blessed we are to do so. On the other hand, it is a fitting exhortation to render what is God to gods because it's way easier to give a million dollars to a church than to first give yourself to God. That's the thing that we need to do. Give yourself to God first, not to make up for something, not to do more than what you're doing before, to give yourself to God and be led by Him in how He wants to use you today. Please turn to Romans 11.33. We're just going to read through this passage for context. Recognizing that God has given Himself to us and He delights to give us the kingdom, our response is to be to give ourselves to Him. After Paul described how God made a way through faith in Jesus Christ for the Jew and the Gentile to be saved, that the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance, this is what he writes in Romans 11, starting in verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever, amen. God's wisdom, his knowledge, it's beyond reckoning. He's freely made himself known to us. He's given us himself and everything we have. So what's the appropriate response of God's service servants in, in light of his goodness? And now Paul continues in Romans 12, verse one. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace of God, grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. It's only by the mercy of God that we can present ourselves as a living sacrifice that's holy and acceptable to God. More than money, it's reasonable we would give ourselves as living sacrifices to the God who gave himself for us. Jesus was sacrificed for us. And see there, through the grace given to me. So God gave Paul grace. And then God dealt to each a measure of faith. God gave him the faith. Like Paul could take no credit for anything he he said or did or contributed because it was God who did it through him. And God's given you a measure of faith. God's given you grace so you can discern, approve, know, and do God's will. Grace and faith, that's not to be saved up for later. Like I'm going to save that when I need salvation when I die. No, that's something to be used today, to be used for the glory of God. That's how you treasure them. You treasure them by using them. A lot of times our treasures, they get put in a safe or stored away, or uh, they're out of sight a lot of the time because we're protective of them. We know they have value. But, you know, we treasure the faith God's given us, the grace he's given us by walking in it, by using it, because it doesn't run out. It actually increases When you give according to God's will, then then your faith begins to increase. You're walking in the grace now. He's changing the way you see the world. Continuing in Romans 12, 4. "For for, For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. God's given us grace and faith. He's also given us a place in the body of Christ. He's given us spiritual gifts to be used for his glory. Think of a body with bones and muscles and Organs and skin, it's all joining together to work for the health of the body. Well, we should work together by the grace of God to use the gifts he's given us. We are members of Christ, but we are also members with one another. So we contribute to the good of the whole. We're different. There's all these different gifts here and notice none of them. And there's only one maybe that talks about giving with liberality. But these are spiritual things. And the things that we do can be done to the glory of God. Continuing, verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in dil- diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Jesus stood by. He saw how people put their money into the treasury, and it matters how we serve God. He's not looking at just what we give, but how we give it. The poor widow, she showed her faith by casting two mites into the temple treasury, and we show our love for God. You want to know what a living sacrifice looks looks like? We have been reading it. Right, Loving one another, hating sin, clinging to what is good, being generous in diligence and service, rejoicing, continuing steadfast in prayer, quick to bless, not cursing, being generous to rejoice with those who rejoice, being generous with our tears to those who are hurting. Generosity in these things. Having first given ourselves to the Lord, we will be divinely enabled, and only then will we be enabled to give what is needed and what is costly, joyfully, knowing that God is worthy to receive it. Whether we are poor or whether we abound, let's give ourselves to God and discover the abundant life that he has for us. I really love this passage in Psalm 34, verse 8. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. The widow, she demonstrated her confidence in God by giving all. And the question remains, will I, will you? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for giving yourself for us, by giving us these examples of the the widow who gave out of her poverty, and the Macedonian churches who, who just so longed to have fellowship with the churches in Jerusalem through giving. And I pray, Lord, we would not withhold ourselves from being those living sacrifices uh, that you receive joyfully. Thank you, Lord, for your insights. That As you watched people throw and cast items into the treasury, you, you commended that poor widow because she, out of her poverty, gave all that she had. And I pray we would not hold back, Lord, from giving you our all, that we would just uh, cast ourselves before you, Lord, knowing that uh, in you and through you, it's the only way that we can do this. And thank you that you will receive even our poor gifts and value and treasure them forever. Thank you, Lord, that you treasure us, that it's not just the gifts we give that you care about, but you receive us by your grace, when we have nothing to give, because you, you have everything, God. What can we possibly give you that you don't already have, and you rejoice to receive us? So, Lord, I pray that the grace and the faith demonstrated by Jesus and the, the, poverty, the woman of poverty, the the places afflicted, Lord, we would follow those examples to walk in your ways and bring your name, honor, and praise through our giving of ourselves in Jesus' name. Amen.